used to saying good morning, so that's going to take me a minute. <laughs> I just want to welcome everybody here. I'm glad you're here. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do in and through you as individuals and what he's going to do in and through the church. I know it's going to be some great things coming our way. Uh, the title of the message is Church in well, the series is called Church in the Wild. Today's message is called Bold, and we're going to be talking about authentic Christian faith. Something you really don't see a lot today, sadly. Um, this topic, it, it really lies at the heart of our Christian journey, though. Like That is the one thing that makes us up. Authentic faith is our hope that we have in, in Christ. It is our faith that we have in our salvation. And my hope with this message is that we will see that authentic faith goes beyond pure emotions or experiences when it comes to our encounters with God. That kind of brings me to my first point, and that is the misconceptions of emotional faith. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understandings. People equate authentic faith with, emotional faith with with an emotional fever. They equate their relationship with God or they equate, or they equate their experience with God based on how they're feeling in the moment with their emotions. But we can't get wrapped up into emotional worship because our emotions will, will steer us in the wrong direction sometimes. Now, emotions are good. Emotions are really good to have. It's really good to, to feel happy and it's really good to feel you know, sorrowful sometimes. But if, if, if you're basing your relationship on God with how you're feeling in the moment, it's going to end up kind of shipwrecking your faith if you're not careful. Because your happiness depends on your circumstances, right? Like that, that's the, the root word of, of happiness is happenstance. And happenstance is all, all about our circumstances and what's going on around us. We cannot let outside influences dictate what God is doing inside of us. So once we let the inside dictate the inside or the outside dictate the inside, that's when we start to crumble a little bit. People will, will think that just because they had an emotional high during worship that, that, that it was all God. That, that That's a 50-50 chance, right? Because sometimes you could just be really liking the music and really liking the song. You could be really liking the atmosphere and you confuse your emotion with the move of the Spirit. It's you got to be really knowledgeable and really careful about what we base moves of God on because there's been a lot of, of moves of God based on emotions that have led a lot of people to destruction because they did it in the wrong ways. We can worship God the wrong way, right? I've seen it happen. I've seen people twist the words of God. I've seen twist people twist the Holy Spirit into making him to what they think he should be and to fit inside this little box. And if he doesn't move within these parameters, then it can't be God. If he doesn't move within this little box, then it can't be God. That's got to be something else. But God is, is a God that doesn't have limitations. He doesn't, he doesn't base his move based on what you're feeling at the moment. He doesn't base your mood or he doesn't base his moves based on what you think he should do. To put it bluntly, and, and this is something, that, like, if y'all keep coming, y'all going to learn I'm a very blunt preacher. God don't care about what you're feeling in the moment. 
God cares about changing something inside of you that is going to bring him closer to him. And if it means that he has to convict you, if it means that he has to hurt your feelings, if it means that he has to break something off of you, he's going to do it so that he can have that relationship that he needs with you. And it is painful. Sometimes it hurts. And that is the whole point of consecration is, is to be set apart for, for a work of God. Consecration is painful sometimes. I've been through consecration and and consecration and, and sanctification is something that is a daily process, just like repentance, right? So in our sanctification process, there's going to be things that we don't really realize that are there that are going to come up to the surface that we're going to have to deal with and we're going to have to either cast off or we're going to have to redeem it for the glory of God. I can tell you firsthand, I, I, I suffer with depression and anxiety. I've been a drug addict. I've been an alcoholic. I've, I've attempted suicide many times, but none of it has worked. But God has used every bit of that to bring me to where I am today so that I can give somebody hope that there is a God in heaven who loves them and who is actually going to be there for them. That's why we kind of go through things. And that's why it's kind of hard not to get wrapped up in our emotions because Sometimes authentic faith, it will acknowledge the emotion, but it will not rely on it. Authentic faith will not make the, the emotion the key to what is going on. Authentic faith, instead, it is anchored in God's word. So it's not about emotions. It's not about putting on a mask. It's about revealing the transformative love of God to yourself and to other people. That's what worship really does. It reveals God to you. It reveals His character and His love and His mercy and His grace. Have you ever been so lost in worship that nothing else matters and what's going on around you? That you couldn't hear somebody's voice that was two feet away from you because you've been so wrapped up and you're so ready just to receive from God, just to get a little bit more of His character, a little bit more of His love, of His mercy, of His grace. Or maybe you've been through a hard week. Maybe you've been through that week to where you don't know where your next meal's coming from. Maybe there's no food in the cabinets. Maybe there's, there's no money in the bank account, and yet you still press through the hard times, and you still worship God, and you still give Him praise despite what your emotions are telling you to do. Authentic faith pushes through the praise despite the circumstances. We can't base our faith based on what is going on around us, what people are saying about us, or what people are, or all this stuff. Because you got to think, in 2023, we got so much stuff trying to clamor for our attention, right? We've got the internet, we've got social media, we've got friends, we got Netflix, we got all this stuff trying to get our attention. And God's saying, I've been right here the whole time. Like, hey, you, you, can, you can scroll TikTok and Facebook for three hours, but you can't spend 10 minutes in, in communication with me. You've been binge-watching series and, and seasons of Netflix, but you can't spend time with me. You can read everything else, but you can't get into my word. Authentic faith has a passion and, and a want and a desire to get into God's word. That brings me to the second point. It's the foundation of authentic faith. The foundation of authentic faith is built on a solid foundation of God's Word. Because how are you going to know your faith if you don't read about it, right? That's why we have the Bible. That's why we have the Word of God. That's my second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. You got it pulled up. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Our faith must be grounded in the Bible, in, in the Word of God. It has to be grounded and rooted in prayer. It has to be grounded and rooted in Scripture, which is going to be our guide and our source of wisdom and our revelation of who God really is. If you go out on the street and you ask somebody who God is, you might not get an accurate description of who He is. This is going to sound weird when I say it, but a lot of people have made an idol out of God and they've made an idol out of Jesus. What I mean by that is they have made up an idea of God and they've made up an idea of Jesus and they worship that rather than the God and the Jesus of Scripture. They will say, well, Jesus is this. Jesus, Jesus loves me no matter what. Yes, no height, no depth, no width, no angels, no demon. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. He is, he is going to love you. He is for you. But he also will not tolerate your sin. He will not tolerate straddling the fence between the world and him. Revelation puts it this way, that if you were, I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold because if you were lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarmness makes God want to puke. So God's like, you know what? I would rather you be cold, like so cold towards me. I'd rather you hate me. I'd rather you do all, like just flat out ignore me than straddle the fence. Or I'd rather you be so on fire for me that nothing can extinguish that spirit that is inside of you and you're willing to go preach my word. You're willing to go fulfill the Great Commission. You're willing to go make disciples of all nations. You will worship me in the storm. You will praise me when things are bad through trials and tribulations. And here's the thing about God's word. Every answer to the Christian life on faith, on God, it's all in there. Every answer to life is within the Bible. But here's the thing about answers. When it comes to that, answers are not hard to find. They're hard to accept. Sometimes we don't want to accept the answer that, that we're asking. Sometimes we don't like to be told no, right? Who likes to be told no? I don't like being told no. And sometimes when God says no, it is a painful experience. But when, how you react will determine your maturity level in the faith. If God tells you no, your reaction will tell you just how mature you are in your faith. Sometimes we'll be praying for something like, God, I really need this, or God, I really want this, or I think I need this. I really want this. Please let this happen. And God says, no. What do you do? Do you, do you give up? Or do you keep pressing forward? Like, okay, God, that was a no. I'm going to go to the next thing. I'm going to go to the next thing. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. I've been there, and I'm pretty sure some of, some of us have, have been there too. God... I belong to this church, but I don't know if I should go to that church or that church. Pray about it. Don't make a fleshly decision. Right? We can't live what we don't know. We can't live out the Christian faith if we don't know the Christian faith. Scripture puts it this way. How will they hear without a preacher? Right? How, how will they know the Bible? How will they know the Word? How will they know without a preacher? What do you do when you don't have a preacher? What do you do when you don't have a man or a woman of God to proclaim the Word of God to you? Are you studying it for yourself? 
Because Sundays and Wednesdays cannot be the only time that you open up your Word and you get in, in, into right fellowship and, and communication with God. Sadly, in the Church of America, that is the only time people's Bibles ever get opened is on Sunday morning, and still they don't even read it. They let it be read to them. And if it is read to them, that's how you can get cults. Because people will twist the Word of God and they'll pervert the Word of God and they'll make it say what they wanted to say, but I want you to fact check me. If I say something that's not in here, tell me. Now, if I misspeak, then that happens because my brain works faster in my mouth sometimes and it comes out quicker and I can think about it. But, but if I say something that is heretical, tell me. Correct me, reprove me, rebuke me. What like the Scripture tells us to do. And when that happens, authentic faith accepts correction. Authentic faith will, will accept rebuke. We, that, that, again, we can't get caught up in our emotions. We can't, if we get corrected in the faith, we can't say, well, brother, sister, so-and-so, they just don't like me, and they're just going to talk about me, and they're just, they're just judging me, and blah, blah, blah. No, we're not judging you, but I would much rather make you mad into heaven than love you into hell. If you got to get mad at me for five or ten minutes here on earth just so you can get to heaven, fine, I will make you mad. But I'm not going to love you into the pit of hell. And I hope you do the same to me. Reprove me. Rebuke me. I'm not above anybody else. The only difference is when I get to heaven, i got more to answer for. i got to answer for every message or every sermon or every, everything that I ever tell people about God. God's going to ask me, why did you tell me? Why did you tell them that? Where'd you get that from? Well, the popular TV preacher said, yeah, I didn't say that though. We got to get into his word, right? There's going to come a time as we see things on earth kind of escalating. There's going to come a time where having a Bible is going to get you killed. We're proclaiming your faith is going to get you killed. And that is why scripture makes it clear. Hide this on your heart. That, that in times of trouble, that if they do bring you before the courts, if they do bring you before you know the authorities, that the Holy Spirit will give you words to say, that He will bring back things into your remembrance. That's why you study the Word, because one day we're not going to have this. I'm not saying Jesus, I'm not trying to set a time on when Jesus is coming back, because we don't know. And that's kind of the scary part, is we don't know. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be 10 years from now. But... Maybe one day down the line, there's going to come a time where this word is going to be outlawed. Look at all the other countries in the world. Like we're pretty much one of one of the main countries that actually had the freedom to have this word. China, it'll get you put in prison or to get you killed. North Korea, they ain't going to ask no questions. They're just going to kill you. Russia, it's going to be the same thing. So what a privilege it is that we have the, the word of God. And we look at it like it's just a book, but it's not. It is, Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I can read one passage of Scripture one day, and then the next day I read the same thing, and God's going to give me something else different. Because it's living and it's active. So in order to live it out, we have to know what we're actually going to be living out, right? And that's the third point. The Holy Spirit's role in this, because if you base this all on yourself, it's going to be really hard or nearly impossible for you to live the Christian life on your own. You have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you in order to make this thing happen. 
And there is a war inside of every one of us between the flesh and the spirit. And it never stops. The flesh says, don't pray. Don't study. Don't go to church. Don't serve. Don't do this. Don't do that. But the spirit says, you got to do this. You got to study. You got to pray. You got to get in communion with the Father. You have to get into this. Galatians chapter 5. This is the Holy Spirit's role in this. You know, I'm not stepping on any toes. But a lot of people say that you know you had the Holy Spirit if you were able to speak in tongues, right? Like, oh, that's the evidence of having the Holy Spirit. I disagree. The evidence of having the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the Spirit. I don't care if you can speak in tongues because people can fake that. I don't care if you can prophesy because you got too many people prophesying. I don't care what you can do. I want to see your fruit because the fruit is going to reveal who you really are. Verse 13 in Galatians chapter 5 says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now is this easy to do all the time? No. If somebody cusses you out, what do you want to do? Or you want to cuss them back out, right? That's the flesh trying to raise its ugly head back up. Here's the thing. You know, Jesus says that, hey, you need to die to sin, right? You need to die to, to flesh. You need to die to the old self. That is good. You have to do that. But sin does not die to you. Sin is still going to tempt you. Sin is still going to come knocking at the door. Sin is still going to be there breathing down your neck. It is up to you to walk in the Spirit so that you can distinguish what is coming from the flesh and what is coming from the Spirit. And once you feel that old man starting to rise back up or that flesh starting to rage war against the Spirit, that's when you've got to start to get into your spiritual side and less of your fleshly side. Because I promise you, if somebody punches you in the mouth, you're not going to be like, God bless you, sir. May I have another. Like that is a really good verse to, to, to quote. Oh, someone strikes you on one cheek, turn, give them the other cheek, let them hit that one too. That, that's really easy to read, but it's really hard to put into practice. Right? Because if somebody punches me in the mouth, my first thought isn't, Lord bless you. Here's this one. That's why I'm not Jesus. That's why I did not come to die for your sins. That's why we don't rely on man. Because man will always let us down at some point. Verse 17 says, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want to do. Just like Romans chapter 7, there's a whole chapter about that where Paul says, the things that I want to do, I can't do. Things that I, that I, that I should do, I'm not doing because there's this, this fight going on inside. There's this war going on. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, perscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
That's kind of scary. But it can it should only be scary to you, but it only should make you nervous if you're lukewarm in your faith. If you were if you know that you have repented and you have you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and you you are saved, that should not scare you anymore. Because if we are mature in our faith, if we are authentic in our faith, we should be able to know, yes, I see this coming, but I'm not going to let it overcome. I'm not going let to it, let it overtake me. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these things. We have to cherish the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life. And if it because it is only by the Holy Spirit that we are actually enabled to live this Christian life. Because when we read about the Christian life all throughout Scripture, it's sprinkled all throughout in there. There's not like one chapter that says, this is what you must do. Like I wish there was. I wish there was like a whole book and a chapter that says, do this, do this, do this, do this. It would make it a lot easier. But there's not. But He is the one who is going to actually allow us to do the things that God's Word has, has laid out for us to do. Again, it's not always easy. You're not going to hit the mark every time. I mean, there's going to be times where your kids get on your nerves and you yell at them and, and, and you scream at them and you do all this stuff. And there's going to be times when you're at work and you got that one coworker that you just want to kick or hit. There's going to be those times where the relationship ain't all that great. You hit a rocky patch. The enemy is trying to destroy you. He's trying to rip apart your family. He's trying to rip apart your job. He's trying to do all this stuff. But it, is, it all depends on how you react. And our reaction can't be based on what we're feeling. Our reaction has to be based on what the Holy Spirit is guiding and telling us to do. And sometimes He's going to tell us to do something that we're like, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to let that go. I don't want to go talk to that person. And when that happens, and you start to wrestle with that, when God says do something, you're like, I don't want to. That's your maturity level going to show again. When it comes to unforgiveness, that's probably the hardest thing that we have to let go of. I'm not trying to say that what, what has happened to anybody in this room is okay, should have happened, or whatever. I'm talking about me and myself because I've had a lot of forgiveness that I've had to let go of. But forgiveness is not for the person that you are forgiving. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is re releasing the power that they have over you because every time their name is mentioned, you get mad. Every time they're, that they, you see them cross your path, your flesh raises up. But if you walk out forgiveness and you actually mean it and you're genuine about it, they won't have control over your emotions anymore. It is hard to do. Been there, done that. I'm not going to preach you something that I ain't done or I'm going through right now. Just like this word. Like when I was getting ready, I was like, man, I don't... Ooh. This is I don't like that. God's like, I don't care. It's got to preach to you before you preach it to them. It's like you got some stuff that you need to work out before you get up there. I was like, all right. I had some forgiveness that I had to do, I had some reconciliation that I had to do. There's a lot of things that I do before I could actually get up here and do this. And and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I hit the nail on the head right the first time. There's still some stuff that I gotta work out, but I'm not perfect. Just forgive it. 
I have to walk in that forgiveness and I have to extend the same mercy, the same grace, the same love that God extends to me. I have to give it to everybody else. Whether they deserve it or not. Because when it comes to me and God, I didn't deserve anything He's done for me. I don't deserve His love. I don't deserve His mercy or His grace. I deserve the cross. But He said, you know what? I'll... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that those who believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life, right? Thank God for amazing grace. Now we see for this fourth point, authentic faith in action. Like it's really easy to say, hey, you need to do something with your faith. You need to do this. You need to live this way or all this. But how do we do that? Authentic faith is not passive. Authentic faith just not, doesn't just say to do something. It puts the action behind the words. Walk out what you're preaching, right? James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? Now, I want to pause here because you're going to hear something in this passage that, that it's going to sound contradictory. Okay? Because James is going to tell us that we are saved by works. And you have to realize that this was written in, before the, the Jerusalem Council, which was in Acts chapter 15, I believe. And that's when they decided you know, it's no longer works anymore. It's no, no longer the law that we're now covered by grace. So this was written before that meeting happened. That makes sense? Okay. Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes or lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? It's 30 degrees outside and you got some homeless person coming up to you and say, hey, I'm cold. Be like, hey, may the love of God warm you richly. What, what, what does that do? It made him not like God. It made him give, a, it give him more ammunition to fire at Christians. But if you go and you give him a jacket to keep him warmer or a blanket or maybe even pay for a hotel room for the night, that's going to help him more than may the Lord keep you warm. Or say, go in peace and stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. This is what I was talking about. Our works do, do not save us. Our, our works are a reaction to our faith. Our works prove our faith. Our works are a fruit of it. So if we have faith, if we have been saved, the things that we do show our salvation not as as showing off but as saying you know what i'm going to go feed the hungry i'm going to go clothe the cold i'm going to help the homeless or the orphan or, or the you know whatever it is the after effects of our of our faith and of our salvation our works do not save us our our our, our works are a byproduct of the saving faith that we have 
In the same way, faith, that if it does not have works by itself is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't it Abraham our father justified by works and offering Isaac his son to the altar? Abraham wasn't even... Abraham was declared righteous by his what? Faith. And that was before the cross. That was before the law. But it was his faith that justified him. You see that if faith was active together with his works and by his works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he, is called, and he is called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out to a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so without faith, without works is dead. So our faith is seen by what we do. It is seen by one another's. And when it comes to what we do to one another, there are 59 one another's in Scripture. Like to love one another, bear one another's burdens. There's 59 one another's. So it is impossible to be completely obedient to God and completely obedient to Scripture if we're not one anothering. Right? Assembling with one another, loving one another, not judging one another. We can't pray for one another. We can't love for one another if there's not a community there. This is the beautiful thing about church and the beautiful thing about what God has done with this church is that church is a community where strangers become friends, where friends become family, and family becomes the reflection of God's love. That is the beauty of church, where you take all these different diverse people from different backgrounds, they might be different races, they might be different you know, social, ecological groups, whatever, but you take this hodgepodge of people and you push them all in, in, in together and they all become one. The unity is not uniformity, unity is diversity. And in our diversity, that's where different gifts come in. That's where different callings come in. That's why Paul says like the whole body can't be a foot. If it's all, if it's just a foot, where's the eyes? Where's the hands? Where's the arms? Where's the legs? All members of the body are working together. We have, when we feed the hungry, when we visit the sick, or we care for the marginalized, we demonstrate authentic faith. I just want to tell you, it doesn't count if you post it on Facebook. If your good deed, if you're videoing your good deed. That's your reward is the recognition of it. That's not my words. That's what Jesus said. If you want to sound a trumpet about yourself, there's your reward. But if you do it in secret, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't publicize it. Don't let anybody know. Just walk out and demonstrate authentic faith in secret. Your reward will be great in heaven. I don't think we actually realize the silent impact that we have on people. And whether you realize it or not, your, your everyday, your day-to-day life is a silent sermon for somebody. Because if you are, are claiming Christianity, if you're 
or claiming salvation, you are now a walking, talking, breathing, active witness for God. So how you talk is a reflection of Him. How you act is a reflection of Him. How you treat people is a reflection of Him. It's not about earning salvation because that is impossible. There's no way we can do that. If we could earn our salvation, we would still be under the law and Jesus would have never had to come. But Jesus said, you know what? They can't do it. Because if you break one of them, you're guilty of all of it. It's impossible to keep the law. So Jesus was like, I'll do it. I will, I will be that sacrifice. I'll, I'll pay the penalty. I'll pay what, what they can't pay. And that's the beauty of the gospel. I've asked people, you know, what, what's the gospel? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, no, that, that's the gospels. <laughs> but what's the gospel? I don't know. Well, you've been going to church for 30 years. How do you not know the gospel? How do you not know the beauty of the gospel? The, the gospel is simply that, yes, because of, the, of what happened in the garden with, with Adam and Eve and the serpent lying to them, which, side note, the devil sometimes is not going to all out lie to you because that that's not what he did in the garden. The only thing he did in the garden was say, did God really say that? He will make you question. But that's the beauty of the gospel, though. That, that because of the, the fall of mankind in the garden, knowing that we couldn't keep the law, Jesus said, you know what, I, I love them enough that I'm willing to go and I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to uphold the law that they can't do. I'm going to live it perfectly and, and seamlessly and sinlessly. I'm going to live out the law. I'm going to come and I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to get hung like a curse on a tree. The, the, the price that they pay, I'm going to pay the debt so that I'm going to write, well, I'm going to pay the debt so that they, not my blood can cover them like the blood of the old covenant rolled back the sacrifices for a year. Now we don't have to worry about it for just a year. I'm going to cover them with my blood for their salvation. And not only that, I'm going to rise up on the third day so that they know that I am Christ their Lord. Because here's the funny If Jesus was, just would have came and He would have done all these teachings and done all these preachings, but if He, if he could have died, but if that would have been it, He would have been just another teacher and He would have been just another prophet. It was the power of the resurrection that made Jesus who He was. Because he said, I'm, I, you, can't lay, you can't take my life from me, I will lay it down. You're not going to kill me. I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to pick it right back up three days later. And you had the government and you even had some of the disciples who were like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. Then three days later, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he opened up that door back so that we could have right relationship with our Father once more. That is the gospel. That, it, that we are so undeserving, and yet God said, I still want you. Yes, I, I see you. I see you in your sin. I see you in, in, in your muck and your disgustingness. But you know what? We serve a God who's willing to get down into the mud. And if He has to, He'll spit in the mud so you have to see. We serve a God who is willing to get dirty with us and for us, who's willing to die for us. So we know we cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift given by God to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, 
while it is impossible to do that, it's about responding to God's love through good works and through love towards one another. Why do we do that? Because He did it for us. And here's the great thing about God. He's not going to ask you or tell you to do anything that is going to jeopardize your salvation or something that He knows that He's not going to see you through. He's not going to go tell you to jump off a cliff. Right? He's not going to go tell you to sell all that you have. Well, my bad. He will. He will tell you to sell all that you have. But He's not going to tell you something stupid that is going to jeopardize your faith or your family or your relationship with Him. That's why you have to be really careful about who you listen to when it comes to church, when it comes to evangelists, when it comes to self-appointed apostles, when it comes to all, you have to be really careful who you listen to. What they think that they're getting from God is really coming from them so that they can fill their own pockets. Or so that they can fill a church. They haven't had an original sermon come to them by God through the Holy Spirit in years, and yet they will stand on somebody else's copyrighted material and preach you a message and say that it's from them. They'll see a message on TV and preach it to you the next Sunday. You can't do that. I know about six preachers that do that, but I'm going to be nice. This brings me to the last point, and that's refining authentic faith. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 7. Authentic faith does not mean the absence of trials and tribulations. In fact, it, it's through these challenges that our faith is refined in the fire. In 1 Peter 1, verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, through, which though perishable, is refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's one word in there that's really important. Is verse 8 in there? No, it's not. Okay, verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Some translations put it this way. That the testing of your faith to be found genuine Authentic faith is real faith, and authentic faith goes through the fire. It goes through the test to be tested as genuine faith. So my hope and my prayer is that we will strive for authentic faith. The world has enough examples of fake Christians. The world has enough examples of, of what not to do or what not to be when it comes to the faith. The world does not need a new demonstration, or the world doesn't need a new definition of the Christian faith. It needs a better demonstration of it. And I hope that, that our faith will actually withstand the storms of life and, and we will become these living testimonies of God's love, His mercy, and His grace. Is it easy? To, is it easy? No. 
But whether you come here one time or you, or you start to come here all the time, I'm here for you. Call me. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you, whatever you need, whether you're here one time or you become family, which whether you like it or not, I hate to tell you, but if you're in the body of Christ, you are family. I hope that if there are some, some areas that, that we need to refine, that we will repent from, from surface level or, or surface, surface level Christianity and turn into authentic faith in, in Jesus Christ. So if we'll all stand. If you need prayer, they're going to play a song. We'll pray for you, pray with you. While he's getting ready, I want to pray for everybody. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and, and gather and assemble to worship you, to glorify you, 